Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Let's pray together. Lord, we do give you thanks for this Father's Day. But every day is a Father's Day to you, for you are our Heavenly Father. We pray that today you would speak to our hearts as a father speaks to a child, that you would encourage us, give us your direction, your hope. For those who feel lost today, that your hand would be upon them for direction and clarity, for the brokenhearted for healing, for all of us for wisdom and guidance. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, happy Father's Day to you, dads. I was thinking about this. I suppose that being a father is the greatest honor and privilege that I have experienced in life. And in many respects, if you think about it, why would God entrust us with a life to raise and to teach and to instruct? Well, I think he has done it partly so that we would learn through this process. Whether you're a father or a mother or just part of any family, you learn something about the heart of God in that he gives us family and allows us to grow in that context. And I think when I hear somebody call me dad, actually just last night, I didn't realize my daughter was coming home. She lives out of town. And I heard this voice in the driveway, and I actually thought it was the neighbor until I heard dad. And that really touched my heart. Sometimes somebody that I coached many years ago, some of the young men, well, I'll see them in a public place, and they call me coach. And, you know, that's almost like being called dead. There's something good about that. But maybe Father's Day for you brings up some thoughts that are not so easy. Maybe you're like me and your dad has been in heaven for a long period of time. Maybe you had a dad who didn't care, who was absent, maybe deserted, or was abusive. I do ask the question of have you forgiven that dad? And really, all of us have to forgive our dads because there are no perfect ones. That even the best of dads fall short in some ways, except for our Father who is in heaven. He's the only perfect dad who never falls short. Now, as a pastor, sometimes I fall short. Because we were in this series, What If, and the question came up a little over a week ago, what if you have COVID? And uh, turns out about two weeks ago, I had been hit with it. I was sick for a few days and was certain I did not have it. A family member said something like, have you had a COVID test? And I'm like, no, I know I don't have COVID. It's different. I had COVID before two years ago, and it's not the same. And 
So I decided to take a COVID test just to prove that I didn't have it, and I did. And that was Thursday a week ago. So on Friday, I was scrambling like, well, who's going to teach? And not everybody can teach without adequate time to prepare. But fortunately, Hetty is able to teach at the drop of a hat. And I hope you were here last week and heard the teaching that she did. If you did not, I strongly encourage you to go online and watch it. Because her teaching is, what if I am a legalist? And actually, it was a bit of a surprising teaching. I watched it last Sunday. It was surprising to me coming from her. Because having known Hetty for a few years, I would not have thought of her as a legalist. But she shared that that had been her struggle in many ways. I think at the root of legalism, much of the time, is some type of fear. Maybe it's a fear of not being good enough or not succeeding. Like she mentioned that she was a bit of a legalist as a parent. Well, she was trying to make perfect children. And if you try to make perfect children, you're likely to get rebellion because the law cuts deeply and many of us will rebel. All of us rebel against the law. All of us have rebelled against the law of God. But she talked about how the Lord had set her free. And of course, in the years I've known her, I would not have thought of her as a legalist in any way, but that's because of the freedom that God has given her. And actually, I would dare say that all of us have been or are legalists to some extent. That is, we want to set up a pattern of behavior, a certain set of rules, and abide by those and think, this will gain me favor with God and with people. Lots of times, our legalism is really has to do with fear of people. What will people think of me if I don't do this? And so... Every person should examine their own heart and really think, am I a legalist in some area? And if so, it's a place where God wants to give you freedom, wants to replace that with joy. Now, we should never use our freedom as a stumbling block for somebody else. There's some places where I would say I am free, but I do not do certain things, not out of legalism, but because I do not want to be a stumbling block for somebody else. Our freedom doesn't give us a license to live in an ungodly way. But there is certainly much more joy in not being a legalist. And unfortunately, I've known people who were religious legalists all of their lives. And it really robbed them of a portion of the joy of their salvation. But God wants you to be free. Now where I want to talk this week is still in this series about what if. And I have realized, I don't know if you have, but I have realized that this could be the longest running series ever. Because there are a ton of what if questions. I just come up with new ones every week. In fact, one of the things that I've been thinking about teaching anyway is what if I am a Pharisee? And Hetty's teaching really is the foundation for the next step because it's one thing to be a legalist, but it's an entirely more difficult thing to be a Pharisee. Because a legalist is often focused upon themselves and those immediately around them, but a Pharisee is often trying to control and manipulate many others. 
So at some point, I'll probably come back to, what if I'm a Pharisee? That would be an interesting t-shirt to wear around all the time, wouldn't it? Just to see what people, how would they respond? But this week, I want to talk about what if I'm thinking wrongly? In some ways, this might be the most important teaching in this entire series. I think, at least for me personally, it is the most difficult teaching to apply. Now, here's why I would say that. If I were to ask the question of you, what percentage of your thinking is godly, holy, righteous, true, it's thinking as God would want you to think, what percentage of your activity in your mind is of that nature? Now, it's interesting, even if you're married to someone, you only know a small fraction of what they are thinking. Now, I know a couple of you are saying, um, excuse me, you don't live with me. I know everything that one's thinking. They just talk all the time. Well, there are some exceptions. But even then, you only know a fraction of what a person is thinking. God knows every thought. Everything about your heart, everything about your mind. And see, here's the question. Are your thoughts daily, on a regular basis, minute by minute, are they faith-filled? Are they based on truth? Do they have the perspective of God? Are they honoring of him and honoring of other people? Or are a lot of your thoughts caught up in fears? Are your thoughts caught up in negative things about others, like being judgmental of them, or being hateful of others, or maybe even being lustful toward other people? See, what fraction of your thoughts are good, holy, righteous? Or, are there a portion of your thoughts that are really negative about yourself? Do you, on a daily basis, have some really negative thoughts about yourself? Or maybe about your spouse? Or about the people right around you? See, this is a huge question. Because if we could get inside the mind of every person here and just watch a movie of your thoughts for, say, 30 days, well, what would that be like? Keeping in mind that God sees that all of the time. Now, I think this is a huge struggle. And the scripture says in 1 Peter that we are to be self-controlled and alert for your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour that we are to resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that our brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. Now, there are occasions in life when you may encounter a physical manifestation of the demonic, where you may encounter something that is very clearly demonic right before you, and you are under attack. Could be another person who's got some spirit upon them. 
could be some of the many things of evil that permeate this world. I'm sure in Ukraine right now, there is often the work of the demonic in a physical way coming against people. I think of Pastor Gennady that I mentioned who was in Mariupol, Ukraine before the war started, running an orphanage and a church and ministering to kids on the streets, most of whom were drug addicts. And Pastor Gennady had, he had adopted over 30 children and raised many of them. And yet now, he had to evacuate all the children from his orphanage and flee Mariupol. And I mentioned that one of his daughters was in her apartment building when it was shot by a tank and she was killed. And so Pastor Gennady has faced the demonic physically right in front of him on a daily basis. In fact, what he was doing before Mariupol was completely closed was going back and evacuating people as best he could. He evacuated hundreds. But most of us don't face the demonic that physically every day. But I believe if you are a Christian and you're walking with the Lord, you are in a spiritual battle and you face the demonic regularly. When the scripture says, be alert, be on guard, for your enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion, I am certain that that is the case. And the place where the enemy wants to attack the most is in your mind. To get you to think in an ungodly way. Maybe to get you to believe lies about God, about yourself, about others. And to think about those lies. To let them resonate in your mind and to take an effect upon you as a person. Maybe... The spirits of evil want you to think negatively about the past, that is, dwell upon the sins of your past, or to think negatively about the future, live in fear of what's going to happen. See, really, if you think about it, this battle in the mind is difficult, intense, and I believe that it goes on as long as you live. That you never get to the place of thinking just perfect thoughts and your mind is always set upon God and you're filled with faith and you never have any struggle in this area. Now you may grow a lot and should be growing a lot, but I still think you're going to have battles all the days of your life. And one of the mistakes I think sometimes we make is we look at other people, sometimes we look at examples in scripture like of these people that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11, referred to as the Hebrews Hall of Fame, and look at those people and think of the magnificent faith that they must have had and how they must have thought with faith all of the time and their mind would have never, ever wondered from that. But that is a misperception. Because take Elijah, for example. Only two people that we know of left this world without really facing death. Enoch and Elijah, because they pleased God. Elijah was an extraordinary prophet, a powerful prophet, one who spoke truth, who did battle against the prophets of Baal, who was oppressed, persecuted by Jezebel, and yet Elijah won victories, and there were miracles through him. 
But after he had fought the, the prophets of Baal and defeated them and did so with great faith, the scripture records soon thereafter, what did he do? He became depressed. And he said to God, I'm the last prophet, the last true prophet. Just go ahead and take my life. That he was downtrodden. And undoubtedly, after his victory, the spirits of evil were still attacking. Remember, Jezebel was trying to kill him. That undoubtedly, after his victory, he had sunk to a place where he felt like he was losing the battle. So here, even this great, mighty prophet wasn't thinking as God would want him to think in that moment. Now, I must confess that my wife has literally said to me, you are Elijah. Because I can go through periods of strong faith and really thinking as God wants me to, and then I'll go into a period of, oh, woe is me. And all the difficulties of the world. So we shouldn't look at somebody else, whether a great prophet or somebody you respect in Christianity, and think they never struggle in their thoughts, in their mind, in their battles. Because it's a struggle for all of us. But I would go back to the question, and I hope you ask yourself this question often. What portion or what percentage of your thoughts are what God would want you to think? Some of your thoughts could be clearly ungodly, sinful, immoral. Some of your thoughts may not be sinful, but they certainly lack faith. Some people, they apply faith, it seems, in a lot of areas of their life, but in some areas, it's as if they have no faith. So, what would that be for you? Now, the scripture says in Romans that we are not to be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the sense that in many respects, what God does when you become a Christian is the spirit of God comes to dwell within you and immediately and for the rest of your life, he is in the business of instructing you. He is your counselor, your teacher. And your mind, the way you think, should be changing substantially as you go through life. This is one of the things for which I am most thankful about being a Christian. Because I know that the worldview I had before I was a Christian and what I have now are radically different, almost two complete opposites. And I realize that over the years, God has been teaching me and instructing me and imparting wisdom steadily, succinctly and oftentimes, but clearly. And it's not something to be proud of. That is, we shouldn't walk in pride thinking, oh, I'm better than somebody else. No, just thankful that God has taught you and progressed you through life that your mind is being transformed. But for many of us, there is still or still are many places where transformation needs to take place. Here's what I mean. I have encountered people who clearly have strong faith and they apply it almost throughout their lives with some exception. 
Like, for example, maybe they walk in faith with everything except for their finances, and they're always worried about their finances and always fearful, and they, they either hoard or something like that. There's, like, there's a stronghold there. For some people, it's some other area. It could be their physical health. It's always a problem, always worried. It's a stronghold. Could be just about God himself, a stronghold thinking that he won't provide, he won't take care of you, he won't meet your needs. And so part of the question here is, in what areas does your mind still need to be renewed? And I'm really certain that everybody should be able to come up with an answer there. In other words, I doubt anybody could say, mm, I have perfected this mind already. Scripture also says in 2 Corinthians, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does, that the weapons we fight with, they're different. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. And what I was referring to about thinking with faith in a lot of areas, but not in one or maybe more than one, that area where you do not think with faith is a stronghold. And usually, almost certainly, for every person, if you really examine it, you can figure out where the stronghold came from. Like, for example, what Hetty was teaching last week, if you have a stronghold of legalism, you can probably figure out, discern, what is the root of it? Where did it come from? Sometimes the strongholds that we have are from our family backgrounds. Sometimes they're generational. It's the same stronghold that's been there for years and years and passed from one generation to the next because the sins of the fathers are cast to the third and the fourth generation. Some, sometimes it's a stronghold because of some of the choices you've made in life, your experiences, that opened a door that let something gain a root in you. Sometimes it's because of some extremely traumatic experience that you've had. Maybe you went through a, a bad divorce and as your spouse was leaving, they were screaming and yelling at you and telling you what a worthless person you are. And that has become a stronghold in your mind and that's how you think about yourself. And that wound, that trauma just keeps hurting your soul. See, a stronghold can be there for a lot of different reasons. Maybe it's because of sinful choices you made. But one of the important things for a person who is growing in maturity as a Christian is to come to the place of being able to recognize those and realize you can change. I was talking with somebody about this just a few days ago. You see, I believe in Christ there is always hope, always. I never think there is one person who is too far gone who will never change because I've seen it happen. People that you would have thought would have never changed and God radically changed their lives. So there's always hope. 
And if there is a stronghold in any person's life, there is always the prospect that God can change it. But you and I have to come to the place of acknowledging it, sometimes confessing it because it's sinful. In other words, if you have a stronghold that's lustful, you've got to confess it before the Lord and ask him to forgive you, but invite him to change you. And as a young Christian, I always thought I had to change myself and I had to learn how to do it right. And I was trying so hard and finally I started to quit often, which was a good thing. Because when you quit trying and you surrender and you invite the Spirit of God to change you, it is amazing how he will do that. Sometimes without you even realizing what it is. Where if you're praying consistently, Lord, this is my issue. I want to change. I'm trusting you to change it. It is amazing how he will do so. But let me go back to the questions what portion of your thoughts, if I phrase it differently, are not what God would want? And then, where would he like to change you? The scripture says in Colossians that since we've been raised with Christ, we are to set our hearts on things above because Christ is seated at the right hand of God and we are to set our mind on things above, not on earthly things. I don't know about you, but I, I do know in my Christian life, these scriptures that talk about set your mind on things above. Years ago, I thought that was very difficult to do, like almost impossible. But I have learned in this journey that in fact, you can make choices about where you will allow your mind to dwell. You can dwell upon all of the things around you and all the fearful things and terrible events and your mind can get entrapped in that. You can dwell upon all the negative things of your past or all the negative things of your present. That can engulf your mind. Or you can set your mind on things above, which means think as God would think, trust him, I mean, sometimes you are literally in the midst of the most difficult circumstance and you can see no way out. And if you look and work at it in your mind and your strength, it just leads to increased anxiety and worry and fear. Or you can be in that same circumstance and saying, Lord, I do not understand. I don't see how this can change, but I'm trusting you. And I'm sure we could go around the room here and give countless testimonies to people who would say, yeah, I was in a circumstance where I saw no hope. And it is amazing how God has taken me through that. Maybe not in a way you would have ever anticipated. Maybe in a way you would have never wanted because it's been hard and difficult. But yet, he's faithful. The scripture also says in Philippians, it says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, set your mind upon those things. Now go back and look at that list. What is true? You see, we live in a world that is attacking the concept of truth, believes there is no truth, but God himself is truth. 
Everything we learn about Christ and apply is truth. That I want to set my mind on that which is true. What is noble, in other words, what is worth respecting. What is right. In a culture that says there is nothing that is right or wrong, we know by definition there is. That which is right is what is morally good, what, is com what comes from Christ himself. What's pure? Not ungodly thoughts. Not sinful, evil, hateful, but pure. What is lovely? See, and it says... All these things, admirable things, excellent things, what's praiseworthy, think about such things. There really are choices that we make in our minds about what we will think. Now, let me say to you, I am certain that what you allow to influence your mind affects how you think on a regular basis. And I believe that we live in a time when there are more negative potential influences all around us trying to influence our thinking all of the time than perhaps at any time in history. I saw this little thing the other day. For It was a suggestion that a kid asked their parent or grandparent, probably grandparent at this point, what was it like when you grew up? Well, and the answer was, well, first, take your cell phone and get rid of that. Take your computer, get rid of that. Take your TV and get rid of the color. Oh, and by the way, you've only got three channels, and one of those is real fuzzy unless somebody climbs up on the roof and changes the antenna. And younger people are like, really? Like, yeah. What was it like to grow up without technology basically and of course if you go back a few more generations it's like we walked to school or rode a horse and yet today what we have is there are wonderful things about technology it's wonderful that we could send a mission team to South Africa I'm convinced I got COVID because Louis sent an email with a virus attached to it because everybody was singing this morning. They all had COVID when they were in South Africa. I got it right after he sent that email. Somebody's like, can you really get it that way? No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <clears throat> but there's so many wonderful things about technology. But at the same time, the world that we live in bombards us with things that are not pure and lovely and right and true and noble. And you have to choose what will you allow to influence your mind. In fact, that'd be another big question. What are the major influences on your mind? See, really, if you were to honest with yourself, what are the major influences in your mind? Some of you might recall that when COVID broke out in 2020 and all the things of the world were shutting down, I said this on a weekend. I said, I am listening less to the things of the world and trying to listen more to God himself. 
In other words, I didn't care what any of the talking heads on news channels were saying about what was going on in the world. I just wanted to hear what was God saying. And I know the Lord said to me during that time that he was doing something. He was shaking, he was testing, and he was sifting. I did a teaching on that. Some of you might remember. That he was shaking the world, he was testing people, testing the hearts of people, and sifting, separating the true believers from false believers. The world, all the talking heads, don't understand that. They don't talk about those things. But God is and was at work shaking, testing, and sifting. I think he's still doing that. And see, if you get a perspective on what is God doing rather than what is the world saying, it changes how you think. See, what are the influences on your mind? For some people, it's 24-7 news that will not uplift your spirit. It will fill you with fear is what it'll do. See, the greatest influence on your thinking should be the Holy Spirit. Like as you're reading scripture, the Holy Spirit is the one instructing you, this is true, how to understand truth. As you're going through life and all the things that are going on during the day, as you're talking with the Lord, it's the Holy Spirit who's with you, who should be the one guiding you, instructing you, teaching you. You come upon a circumstance, it's like, Lord, what do I do? I don't ask the world, what do I do? I ask him, what do I do? What are the greatest influences upon your thinking? Is it the world or is it Christ? See, this is why I say this perhaps is the most difficult to apply because your thinking can quickly go awry. In other words, you could be thinking with faith about a lot of things and then, like Elijah, have a day where you're over here having a pity party. Where your thinking is not as God would want you to think. So now, I would encourage you in the days ahead to really be examining your own mind and laying it before the Lord. What portion of your thoughts are as God would want you to think? Are they noble, true, right, praiseworthy, admirable? Or do you think as the world thinks? Do you believe lies? Do you live lies? Do you think with the bitterness and hatred and evil of the world? Or do you think as Christ would have you to think? A couple of weeks ago, I did a teaching about what if I'm stuck? A lot of us are stuck because our thinking is got us encapsulated. I really believe you can lay any area of your thinking before the Lord and say, Lord, this is where I want to change. And he can and will do it. And let me make it quite clear, I'm doing that right now. I have been for a while. I've been praying, Lord, this is where I want to change. I want to be more like Christ in certain areas. Let's pray. Lord, you know all of us, the details of our lives, and I pray, Lord, that you 
would reveal to each one of us the places where you want to change how we think. And that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would change. That we would think as you want us to think about ourselves, about others, and most importantly about you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we uh, are not done with our African journey. Uh, Louis and the others were talking about having been in South Africa. And they are going to Kenya in just uh, about a month. And we have with us this weekend, and it was not planned that way. It was more, well, I guess the Lord planned it that way. Many of you will remember Arcadius Adundo, who has been here several times. He has been in the United States for a few weeks. We're serving orphans worldwide, brought him here and has him speaking at different things and so forth. And, and uh, of course, you'll remember Arcadius grew up in Vicki Adundo's orphanage in Kakamega and finished college and so forth. And the Lord's now using him to minister to the kids there as well as in other settings. So first of all, we're thankful that you are here. And uh, I would invite you, Arcadius, just to share with us some updates about what's going on in the orphanage as well as in your own life. Thank you. I'm so blessed to be here today. And I just on behalf of Victoria Children's Home for those who have been fathers to those kids, I just want to wish you a happy Father's Day. And Victoria's, uh, we have had a lot going on for these past, like, few do you have the photos? No. Oh, okay. So we completed the new building, and the upper side, we are able to actually have the boys occupying the upper side of the, uh, of the new building. And the hall, we have now completed it. We have just not finished it. And so we can use it for prayers, and the kids can use it to eat too. And they're, they're all which was the old building, is now actually the girls' dormitory. And, and now the kids, we are able to have more kids coming in. We can actually host additional of 15 other kids who we have just welcomed in. And also the van actually, we changed into having, to change it into a bus. We lost the other van which had been broken down and it was like heading to go for almost eight trips to get the kids, and so we hoped for a bus, and so the money which we actually the child provided, we, we had it for the bus, which will be completed in two or three weeks to come. Now, some of you might recall, it's probably, I'm gonna say nine months ago when I asked you to give money to buy a van for them, their van was broken, and they were having to hire somebody to take the kids to school, things like that, and of course, they have 150 kids. Well people gave so generously that they had enough money not to buy just a van, but to buy a bus. But they had to have the bus created or constructed there, and it's going to be available in two or three weeks. So they haven't picked it up yet, but very soon they're going to have that and be able to transport the kids, which yeah. will save money on one side, but also provide a great benefit in the other. Yes, yes, right now. Like, uh, we can go with the bus. You can just go for two trips to take them to school or any place that you want them to go. And the van usually take like eight trips to get the kids to the school. 
And then also, some of you might recall, we had some pictures of the uh, compound there at one time. They were building a new dormitory. It's a multi-story building inside the compound. That's what he was referring to is mostly complete now, and they're able to use it. So, And I know many of you sponsor Victoria's Children's Home either as a, a donor to the children's home or you sponsor some of the individual kids. So it's good to know that things are progressing well there. You still have about 150 kids, right? Yes, we're still feeding the stage kids also. Uh, more of the kids, like right now, the life, uh, like, like uh, things are so high and living standard of life are so high. We're having a lot of kids coming onto the streets. And so we are continuing that weekly feeding of them to the streets. And we're still having 150 plus because we got so many joining high school and others joining college. You know, making it in Kenya to a high school is not like you have a governmental test and that test decide whether you're going to high school or not. And also we have a governmental test after high school that determines if you're going to college or not. But most of them are working so hard and, and they're, joining, they're joining high schools and others are joining college this time. Now you have the 150 or so kids in the orphanage and then he was mentioning the street kids. You go out and feed basically homeless kids. Is it a couple times a week you do that or? Yes, we do that uh, every Saturday. And the street kids are mostly addicted to drugs. Most of them are addicted to drugs. And now we have kids on the streets as, uh, from the age of four actually being on the streets. So we actually have to give those the chance, first priority to come to the orphanage. And if they're willing, we have a place where we can start rehabilitating them of the drugs. It's a continuous process. It takes time for them to change. But after they do that, they join the orphanage and they do well, actually. And you got a couple, a couple of infants within the last year. They're doing okay? Yes, uh, um, Christian came in one day old. We actually just picked Christian uh, on the riverbank, actually. After he was born, he was thrown on the riverbank and we had to go to the hospital for medical. Actually, right now he's doing okay. And blessing came came to the orphanage, she was like 10 days old, and she's doing okay right now. But you did have some difficulty this year. You mentioned that there, you lost one of your friends who'd been a part of the orphanage. Uh, the, we lost uh, one of the boys who actually, I grew with, with him in the orphanage, who is uh, lucky. He had like ulcers, and so uh, he died, and then, um, we had uh, one of our high school boys who had to go through surgery. He had some complication in the kidney. And most of the kids, uh, you know, during rainy season, like sickness has been a big problem this time at the orphanage. And also the living standard is so high and medical bills and everything are occupied. So we had some, actually, some difficulties dealing with that. Is it the rainy season there now? Yes, it's a rainy season. So that means malaria is high? Malaria, typhoid, and pneumonia are very high right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anything personal that you would like to share with us? Yes. Uh, actually, first this, uh, we are going to election just um, in, on August 6th. I'd just like to ask the church to pray over that because election is always the tough time in in Kenya. Things are way wild and just pray for protection and over the country over that. And also 
this church has been a so big blessing to me and coming over here and also the kids to, to the orphanage. And actually, I found someone who is Aiden, and we are actually engaged and hoping that governmental things to go okay with time and we can get married. Yeah, this young lady over here is Eden, and uh, they've been <laughs> friends now for a few years, and they got engaged around Christmas time, I think it was, something like that. So whenever he can get all the visa things worked out, they're planning to get married. Eden is uh, going to be a first-year medical student this fall at Liberty University. So really good things going on in your life, very special things. But uh, we thank you for being here, giving us an update. We love Miss Vicky and uh, you, and are just thankful for you as a church supporting them so much. We've seen that orphanage grow over the years, and lives change, and I know those are the kinds of eternal investments that the Lord is very thankful in your life that you support them. So thank you, Arcadius. Thank you. <clears throat> We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org. And make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him.